Welcome to the Rock Community Church. Pastor John Warehouse is teaching from the book of Acts. Enjoy today's sermon. Thanks for being here. This is such a wonderful day. Now, we're in a place in Scripture that's kind of like vanilla-ish, you know, of sorts. That, uh, you can't, we can't not study it, but you need to know there are some certain um, thoughts about this place in Scripture. We're in Acts chapter 1. We're going to be looking from verse 12 to the end of the chapter. And you need to know there are some people that have dis- dis- uh, disagreeing views on what took place with the apostles. I'm going to share with you the best I know how of what I believe happened at that time, but I want you to know that everything I'm going to say to you is written in pencil, just in case we're wrong, so that we can make our change when we get to heaven someday, and the Lord says, no, that wasn't quite right. None of this is going to be said that's going to be able to change our faith or anything like that. It's just the idea of how was uh, Matthias chosen over Judas. Judas, of course... um, um, betrayed our Lord, uh, then he went out and hung himself. And also here in Acts, we're going to see that uh, he was cast down uh, and, he, and he, his bowels gushed out. Uh, there's the commentators that for certain he hung himself, but some thought that maybe the rope or whatever he used to hang himself broke and he was hurled down into these rocks and, and bursted open. There are others that say, well, you know, if you hang yourself violently enough, then your insides will come out. I don't know. I don't know what. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how and what took place. I do know that for certain, Matthew tells us that he hung himself, and uh, here the indication is that he hung himself, but he also fell headlong and and he burst open. That's not important either, really. Um, what 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 will be important, I believe, is in the 14th verse, and that is they were all with one mind, and they were continually devoting themselves to prayer, and I will kind of concentrate on that a little bit as we go through this particular place in Scripture. Uh, we'll try to touch every verse as best we can. Um, but uh, And then also the, the whole idea of uh, casting lots. They cast lots to, to choose whether it be uh, one guy or the other. And the lot fell on Matthias, and so it was to him. And that's the last time that that is ever used in Scripture. That was an Old Testament practice in the book of Proverbs it would say that, that the, the man casts lots, but the decision is from the Lord. And so they were doing what that was normal for them to do, and that was to reach back into the Old Testament. They have not yet become a New Testament church. They have not yet been baptized or empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so everything that they're doing was what was natural for them to do, and that was to reach back into the Old Testament to try to figure out what should they do, how should it be done. Please feel... I hope you don't feel embarrassed that you're coming in like, I mean, like that. That's, <laughs> seriously, I would, be, I would be very intimidated to come down front at the very, at the very uh, beginning of the service. It just would intimidate me no end, so I hope you don't feel embarrassed. <laughs> I, see, I try to be helpful. <laughs> well, since we're all talking like this, let me just show you a couple of things. One thing in particular... Um, this, uh, the, I didn't make mention of it because I didn't want to make mention of it. But three weeks ago, my mom died. And, and so many of you knew of it. And so many of you wrote me either emails or said to me or, or, or called or whatever to, to say we're very sorry uh, that we hear of your mom passing away. And, and I, I, 
I don't know how in the world I'd be able to thank all of you unless I did it in this fashion. So every service I did this. I said thank you. Uh, it's very kind of you to, to have thought of uh, my family and my, myself at this time. My mom, she was amazing. She was amazing, absolutely amazing. 94 years old. She, was, uh, she got dizzy the day before. I understand she fell, which, you know, she did that a lot, I guess, near the, near the end where she was getting dizzy and she'd try to get to the phone and she'd just fall. I, know, I shouldn't be laughing, but you'd have to know my mom and my relationship. We teased about a lot of things and, and, uh, and she couldn't get to the phone. And so my sister found out about it, took her home, took her to the hospital, uh, went to the hospital. Um, she had this dizzy spell. Uh, almost immediately her kidneys and everything else, she kind of shut down. Her heart failed her. The next day she was dead which is the way I'd like to go, except that I'd rather not even, even go to the hospital. If it's okay, Lord, I'll just uh, take it real quick. You know, and my, my father died like that. It was the last day on our, uh, on our vacation. My wife talked us into taking my mom and dad on, on our vacation to Hawaii. So uh, we, we all went together, and um, my dad uh, died the last day of the vacation in my arms. He just collapsed as he was trying to get dressed. My dad was just... just tough as nails, and he was trying to get dressed, and he, was, he couldn't. He was in the closet, you know, and he was just like this when I found him, and I grabbed him in my arms and tried to revive him, and, and he died right on the last day. My mom, my mom died, and uh, in, in, in just let me tell you about my mom. A, a week before, just a, just a week before she passed away, she babysat her great-great-granddaughter by herself. Now, I don't know what that talks about my, my niece allowing my mom to have her, but uh, she took care of her, and that, that was my mom. Up to, the, up to her dying breath, she was caring for people rather than having people care for her. And, and one of the doctors said to us that uh, if she makes it through this, which didn't look good, but if she does, she'll be in assisted care the rest of her life. And I, I think my mom said, what? I'm out of here. <laughs> I'm out of here. I'm out of this. This is... Not for me. So um, I, I just want you to know I thank you from the bottom of my heart for, uh, for, for your response to us. And uh, we'll leave it at that. Now, we are in the wonderful book of Acts. Let me just share with you. A couple of people told me last week something really ministered to their lives. And I'll share with you. What I love to do, as you well know, is I like to uh, kind of uh, review a little bit. Just so that we kind of catch what's being said and taught. There were seven words that really impacted people. Uh, remember, remember last week when we were studying, the Lord said, uh, uh, you know, I want you to go away for the promise that's coming to you and, and uh, you will be, you'll be uh, empowered by the Spirit. And, and they asked the very natural question because it, was, it, was, it fit together in the Old Testament. It was hard to separate the two. And so the, the apostles asked the Lord, is it now? Is this the time when you're going to restore Israel back to itself and you're going to bring the kingdom back? And, and he said these seven words. He says, it is not for you to know. And I said to you, when I read that, I thought, oh, my gosh, that, that, is, that is so much um, what a faith is like. Faith sometimes is, is we go through times, difficulties, we go through trials, we go through things that we don't understand why. And sometimes the only thing that we have to hold on to is our faith. And that's it. And it seemed to me that, you know, here's these guys that the Lord says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go into Jerusalem, and I want you to go into Judea. Judea. I want you to go into Samaria, which was, you know, Jews, was not to, they, you know, they couldn't go into Samaria very very easily. 
and he says, I want you to go into these places. And also he says, I want you to go into the uttermost parts of this earth. And what I want you to do is proclaim the gospel that I proclaimed, which, by the way, took me to the cross, in case you're wondering, you know. And they were saying, well, are you going to restore Israel to itself now? I mean, the, the kingdom now? And he says, it's not for you to know. And it seemed to me so abrupt because, you know, at least you could kind of let them know some of the in thing, insights of what's going on. And so we realize out of Deuteronomy, the 29th chapter, the first half of the 29th verse, it simply says this, the secret things belong to the Lord our God. That's the truth. There are just some things that, that, that you and I are, are not going to know why we're going through what we're going through. And this, for some of you last week, really ministered to you because you, you kind of wrestled through this whole thing of, why am I going through this, Lord? Why am I struggling through this situation? Or why is this happening to me? And the bottom line is, within our faith, within true faith, there are certain things that you just won't know why. The only thing that you'll have is your faith. And so I believe what the Lord did was allow them an extra boost on their faith. Let's face it. He could have gone to heaven just in the blinking of an eye. They, all of a sudden, there he is, and boom, there he's not. But no, he chose to ascend, and it appears that he ascended fairly slowly into the heavens itself. And as the, the apostles were there watching him go away, this must have made a huge impact upon their lives. Something that perhaps would carry them through any difficult times that they would go through. This memory, this miracle, among with so many other miracles he did, had to carry them through some tough times. That's why I would encourage all of you, uh, if you can, to keep track of, of the blessings that the Lord gives you. I went to, one of my friends' home was a pastor of a church once. I went to his house, and on, on his shelf, he had a, a bunch of journals. I mean, a lot of them, a lot of them. And I said, what are these? And he says, well, take a look. And I opened up one of them, and, and it was just writing in there, just writing a, a, a statement and dates and stuff like that. And he says, he says, that's my uh, place I go when I need to really encourage my faith. He says, what I have done over the years is he says, every time I ask for a, a prayer or I pray for something, I write down what I'm praying for and I write down the date that I started praying for it. And he says, there on the other side, he says, you see the answers, the answers to my prayers. And almost every one of those margins on the right-hand side were filled. And he says, you ought to do that. Well... To this day, I still don't do it. I, I should, I know. And if you would ever want to do it, I would encourage you to do it. He said to me, this is some of my best reading. I said, what do you mean? He says, when I'm, when I'm discouraged, he says, I grab any one of those journals. And I start reading through. And he says, I don't have to go through a couple pages till I realize that my God is a faithful God. And he will answer my prayers. I'm glad that you said amen to that. It blessed me too. I... I, I, I promised myself that I'd start a journal and I that's, that was 15 years ago. I don't I don't do good on writing things out sometimes and but it's it's just a a a chance to see God's faithfulness and to watch him work in your lives. Well, where we left off last week, the angels all of a sudden sauntered alongside of the apostles who were looking up in the air and it says they were gazing intently and they were looking and it's so important to understand the Greek words of what they were doing. The angels basically said, why, why, are you, why are you looking into the heavens? 
basically what we said last week, what they were saying was, stop looking as though you've lost something. You haven't lost anything. Just as he has gone into the heaven itself, so he will return one day and come back and and bless you. So now we find the apostles today where Jesus Christ told them they ought to be in the first place. And that's in Jerusalem, waiting for the promise of what will change their lives. And that is the baptism, the filling, the empowering of the Holy Spirit that's going to come upon their lives. Now in the meantime, something takes place. And as I've already mentioned to you, there are commentators, there are teachers that are on both sides of the fence. Some say Peter had no right doing what he did by choosing Matthias. That was outside of the realm of the Spirit. The Spirit of God has not come yet. He shouldn't have done that. There are others that say, oh, he's doing exactly like he ought to have done. He did exactly as he was ordered. You find nowhere in Scripture that, the, that, the, that Jesus Christ or the Lord rebukes Peter for choosing Matthias. The only thing you will see is there's very little mention of Matthias, and you'll see a lot mentioned of Paul. And most people think, well, Paul was supposed to be that 12th apostle. I'm going to give you reason to think maybe he wasn't. Now, this isn't something that we need to take a lot of time on, because what does it mean to us as a church? I think very little. What means to us as a church is really what I'm going to try and concentrate on, and that's verse 14. That they were of one mind, and they were continually devoting themselves to prayer. As we kind of set that stage, would you please read with me from verse 12 to verse 26. It says, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which was near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. When they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, that is, Peter and John and James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. Look, verse 14, These all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer, along with the women, Mary the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. At this time, Peter stood up in the midst of the brethren. A gathering of about 120 people were there together. And he said, Brethren, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit foretold by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. He was counted among us and received his portion in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the price of his wickedness. And falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his bowels gushed out. It became known to all who were living in Jerusalem, so that in their own language that field was called Keldama, I believe. That is, field of blood. Verse 20, For it is written in the book of Psalms, Let his homestead be made desolate, let no man dwell in it, and his office let another man take. It is therefore necessary that of the men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning with the baptism of John until the day he was taken up from us, one of these should become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they put forward two men, Joseph called Barsabbas and also called Justice and Matthias. And they prayed and said, Lord, who knows the hearts of all men, show us which one of these two you have chosen.
to occupy this ministry and this apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And it says in verse 26, they drew lots for them and the lot fell to Matthias and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. Now I'm going to try and make sense of all of that. Would you please pray with me? By the way, let me just say this before we pray so that we're not going to cover it deeply during the message. The field that was bought by Judas was not bought literally by Judas. Here's what took place. You'll remember, he he betrayed the Lord for 30 pieces of silver. He became convicted of what he did. He went back to those who he betrayed, uh, or he told them where Jesus was, and he gave them the money back. He said, I don't want it. Well, you keep it. We don't want it. It's blood money. So what he did is he left, and then the Bible says in Matthew, he hung himself. Here it says, he fell headlong, and his bowels burst open. Now, as I said to you already, some think that the, the rope must have broke or, or whatever he used to hang himself and he fell headlong into a cliff. Don't know. Don't know. We're not told. But we, are, we do know this. Those that had the money took the money. The, the, the Sadducees, the, the, the religious leaders took that money and they didn't want it because it was blood money. And so they bought this field with it. Because they used his money, it was accredited to him as buying it. And so there is like a, a discrepancy in Scripture. Did he buy it? Did he, he, how could he? he? He killed himself. Well, that's how it came upon his, his responsibility, so to speak, of, of, of having this field and also that, uh, of why, why and how he died. Um, I don't think it's relevant. I don't. I don't think it's going to help yours or my faith one bit. I think what will help our faith is what we're going to try and take a look at today. So now with that in mind, let's do pray. Please, Father. We beg of you that you would open up our eyes so that we might see our hearts, that we might sense and feel you, um, our emotions, dear Father, all that we are, that you would open up these things that we might behold the most wonderful, wonderful of privileges that has been given to mankind, and that is to read directly from your Bible, your word, that it might become a part of our lives and our hearts, that we might understand it and know more about what you what you proclaim and has already been confessed this morning. There are certain things, Father, that we might, we might not know. We might find hard to understand. And uh, that's just the way that is, Father. And may we study and study and study until we find the truth. And each of us, I think, long to that day where we will be with you and, and then we will know you just as purely as we've been known. We'll be able to understand all these things. In the meantime, Father, what we're trying to do is what I believe every church ought to try to do, and that's to conform ourselves into the image of your Son. And we will not be able to do that, Father, apart from your Word. That we are certain of. And so we study your Word, Father, so that we might become like your Son. And so would you please, as I've already prayed, open up our eyes and our hearts that we might behold these wonderful truths. And would you take me, Father, and move me aside, please? I beg of you, Father, that we might clearly see you instead of a speaker. I pray in Jesus' most precious name. Amen. Let's get into this because there's a lot of ground to cover. A Sabbath day journey just for your edification. That was less than, by rabbinical law, that was less than a mile. In essence, it was approximately 2,000 cubits. They were given laws that the... During the Sabbath, they were not to travel more than a mile. 
And so there was, uh, in the Old Testament, it was said that there would be 2,000 cubits away from the camp. See, travel was also considered work. Work was prohibited on the Sabbath. And so they were told they could only go less than or up to 2,000 cubits. That's why it says there they were a Sabbath's day away. Now, as you can read from verses 13 through 15, there was about 120 people in this upper room. It says in verse 13, they entered into the city, they went up to the upper room. It names the apostles who were there, and it also names, that in verse 14, saying that they were all with one mind, and they were continually devoting themselves to prayer. Not only the apostles, but also the women who were there with them, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. At that point in time, we are told in verse 15 that Peter stood up in the midst of all of these 120 people and he proclaimed something. Now, let's, let's first take a look. Waiting there were the women, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. The women, we, we are not told who they are, but no doubt included Mary Magdalene, most likely Mary and Martha, along with other women. Jesus' brothers were his biological brothers, his sibling. That was the natural children of Joseph and Mary. Now, there is this religious belief that Mary remained a virgin all of her life. That's not true. She was a virgin when she gave birth to Jesus Christ. That was a virgin birth. But afterwards, she and Joseph, her husband, had children. Let me show you that. Turn with me to Mark chapter 6, please. In Mark chapter 6, we are given the names of our Lord's brothers and mentions there, not the names, but his sisters. Mark chapter 6. We're going to kind of jump around Scripture a little bit, so kind of hold Acts chapter 1, but let's take a look at these other places. In Mark chapter 6, it says, He went out from there, verse 1, He came to his own hometown, and his disciples followed him. When the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and, 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 uh, and many listeners were astonished, saying, they're asking the questions to themselves, Where did this guy, where did this man get these things? What is this wisdom that has been given to him? And, and the miracles that he has performed by his own hands. And so they ask in verse 3, is this not the carpenter? In other words, isn't he just a mere guy? Is he not just the son of Mary and, and, and the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? In other words, those aren't just brothers in the term of we're all brothers. That's talking about, by naming them, his family members. His brother James, Joseph, Judas, Simon along with his sisters. Now those two, two of those four, James and Judas, became prominent within the New Testament. James became the head of the first church in Jerusalem, also wrote the book of James. And Judas wrote the book Jude. Now, somewhere in the process, they became believers. Look at John chapter 7. Look with me, Mark, Luke, John. Look at John chapter 7. Somewhere in the process, the family became converted to believe in in Jesus Christ. What we can surmise is that happened somewhere after the resurrection. Because the conversion of the family is not recorded in Scripture. 
It says in, in John chapter 7, look at, uh, it says, they say to his brothers said to him, verse 3, brothers said to him, depart from here, why don't you go to Judea, so your disciples may also behold your works, which you are doing. They say in verse 4, and I take verse 4 to be kind of a, a catty statement of itself. They say, no one does anything in secret when he himself seeks to be known publicly. Where did Jesus Christ ever tell them he, sake, he sought to be known publicly? That wasn't his makeup. That wasn't what he wanted to do. I think they're jealous of him. You know, you're becoming real prominent. Why don't you go out the, to the highways and the byways so that you can be well known just like you'd like to be well known? If you do these things, why don't you show yourself to the world? It says in verse 5, this is why I take this stance, for, for not even his brothers were believing in him. They, they didn't believe in him yet. Their conversion did not happen until sometime after his resurrection. But boy, did they get converted. Even Mary, the mother of Jesus, had to believe in her son as her Savior. You see, no one ever born, no one ever born on this earth is without sin. So everybody born on this earth, everybody had to have their sins forgiven. The only one that didn't was our Lord. He was a virgin birth. He did not have original sin. He did, he, he did not have sin running through his body. I want you to see this. Look at Luke chapter 1. Interesting place in Luke. Matthew, Mark, Luke. Just before John. Luke chapter 1. In Luke chapter 1, it says, concerning Mary, Mary says in verse 46, Luke chapter 1, verse 46, Mary says, my soul exalts in the Lord. You'll note, she calls him Lord, not her son. And she says in verse 47, My spirit has rejoiced in God. Who? You might want to note that. He became her Savior. He had to become her Savior because she was not without original sin. All of us, all of us, whoever walked the face of this earth, need to make Jesus Christ our Savior goes on to say, verse 48, He has regard for the humble state of... She calls herself his bond slave. Not her mom. His mom, I should say. His bond slave. For behold, from this time, all generations will count me blessed, she says. For the mighty one has done great things, watch, for me. Not in me. For me. And, his whole, and holy is his name. And mercy is upon generation after generation towards those who fear him. That's a testimony, folks, of Jesus Christ as her own personal, her own son, as her own personal Lord and Savior. It's noteworthy to note this. Uh, take a look at Mark chapter 3. It's noteworthy to note that as we study through the book of Acts, this is the last time that you'll see Mary mentioned. She is not mentioned after this. Not in the book of Acts, nor any other of the other books. In fact, in Mark chapter 3, which is an amazing place in Scripture, Mark chapter 3, Jesus Christ is, is doing what He normally does, and that's teaching. In Mark chapter 3, in verse... Um, quick, Johnny. Okay, I got it. In, in verse 31, um, it says they were saying... Mark chapter... 
3, verse 31. Yep. His mothers and his brothers arrived. And standing outside, they sent word to him and called him. So many people there, they couldn't get inside. Verse 32. A crowd was sitting around Jesus Christ. And the crowd said to him, Behold, your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you. He answered them in verse 33 and said, asked them a rhetorical question. He said, Who are my mother and who are my brothers? And then looking around those who had accompanied him, who were being taught by him, he said to those who were sitting around him, Behold, my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, they are my brother, my sister, and my mother. Folks, you and I are part of the family of God. In other words, what Jesus Christ taught to those who were sitting around him was that family relationships gained no special spiritual recognition or privilege as far as he was concerned. And that truth applies to every single one of us who ever walked the face of this earth. We are a part of the family of God because we have been taught and listened to him. As a matter of fact, <laughs> there's a lady that bursts out a statement in the book of Luke. She, she, he's teaching and she yells out, Blessed are the womb that bore you and the breasts that you nursed upon. I've kind of started to study a little bit, quieted down a little bit, I would think. And he said, and this is verbatim, Luke chapter 11, verse 28. He says, on the contrary, blessed are those who hear the word of God and observe it. That's the issue. The issue for you and me is not a family relationship by, by blood. The issue with you and me in, in, our, in our walk, in our trust in Jesus Christ is the spiritual relationship by hearing the Word of God and observing it, which, which further, which further uh, solidifies the facts that, that our Lord want us, wanted us to understand what was written within these pages, to hear it and to keep it or, or observe it. Now let's go back to, to Acts chapter 1. So what we find out in that little scenario is the family of God is are those of us that have trusted in Him. And I think Jesus wanted to make that point. There's no spiritual privilege that one has just because they're in the family. The truth of the matter is, is you and I must trust in Him. Now, here's what's so special about verse 14. We see them, it says, with one mind and continually devoting themselves. That, the word continually devoting is a, is a word of persistence. They were persistent in their prayers. Now, there is no church that is really going to be its weight and salt that doesn't have people that are devoted to one another in one mind, uh, uh, that there is no... Uh, agendas or, or nothing like that within the family of God. And, and nothing can solidify a church more than you and I being of one mind and also that we would continually be devoted to each other in prayer. Now the Bible tells us in First, First Thessalonians chapter 5, I believe it is, is that we are to pray without what? Okay. Now most people misunderstand that because they think, well, that means they got to be babbling all day long. You know, you you can't stop praying. You got to pray without ceasing. 
No, what that really means is, is that you have an attitude of prayer or whatever might come your way. In other words, you're, you're in a situation and, and, and ah, here's what I do. I kind of make this as a practice. I, I'm driving down the road and I see an accident. Immediately I pray. That's what I've kind of trained myself to do. I ask the Lord to watch over who is ever in that car. May they be safe. May their families be safe. May everything be safe. That kind of is a way. It also triggers something in my mind when I see that is I automatically pray for my family. Automatically. Goes right to my kids. Watch over my daughter, my son, their families as they drive or in their car. Lord, care for my wife. That's kind of the way that goes. And I use that as a as my continually praying, my praying without ceasing. As I was driving up and I saw that, I wasn't praying at the time. But what happened was, that triggered my mind into an attitude of prayer. And I believe that's what praying without ceasing is. Is that when things come your way or my way, we have this attitude of prayer, that we would be continually devoted to praying. What makes a church all that it ought to be is when we're of one mind, And we're praying for one another. We're praying for what lies ahead of us. We're praying for whatever it is the Lord wants to do within our lives collectively, our lives individually, and our lives as a body of believers. The church that we're going to get into. The things that we're going to do. That we're continually, constantly praying that God would bless us. There's no greater privilege in my life than to be able to be of one mind and pray for one another. We were, we, my wife and I were driving. We were going home. As typical of my wife, which I don't know if Wes started it or, or Kay did it first, but they have this tendency to ask these questions. Well, we've been doing it as a family forever. Kay has been doing it. We get around with the kids, and she would ask some question at dinner, and then, okay, now discuss. You know, well, let's, what do you think about this? And so the rule was you couldn't say, I don't know, I don't want to talk about it. You had to kind of give an answer. So we're driving, and out of nowhere comes, John, have you ever thought, what, what will have to happen in your life for you to die a contented man? Oh, wow, here I go. All right, <clears throat> so I start thinking right away. I start thinking, I know i got to answer this one. So I start thinking, and I, and I said to her, it didn't take me long, and I said, uh, I think for me to be a contented man would be that, that when I die, that it, by the grace of God, you'd be well cared for. That you wouldn't, have to depend on the, the, you wouldn't have to depend upon the kids. You wouldn't become a burden to the kids that I would have taken care of you. And that, that everything would be in order. And, uh, and I said, uh, uh, along with that, is that, that this church that, that the Lord is building, that it would be established. It's one of my deepest prayers for this for this church to be established. If, if in fact the Lord was to take me home, which I hope is not for a long time, but if in fact He did, I would want us to be established as a body of believers. That you would have a, a church that, you're, that we're, we're rooted in. That we would have a church that, that we know that our kids could come to. That we know that if, if and when we pass away, should the Lord tarry, the next generation would have a place to worship and to really know and to love the Lord. And then I added a couple things to it. Since I was on a roll, I said, <laughs> I said to her, I said, and I really would love that whoever follows in the pulpit, 
that that person would have the heart of the people. Um, you see so many places where the pastors all of a sudden think they're a little more than us, the congregation. And if you've been with me any length of time at all, you know that is so not my heart. I believe that, that God gifts us as He so wishes. And so He gifts the pastor. It doesn't mean that this guy here is smarter than you and me. It just means that he's gifted in a different way. That's all. And if we could understand that principle, and especially that this person would really catch that and not try to lord the position or whatever it is over us, then we'd have more of an ability to be of one mind and to be able to be a people that are, are continually devoting ourselves to whatever it is. So I said, I would love for our, this church, the Rock Community Church, to be established in its own place and just flourishing. That would be my privilege to see that take place. I said, then, what about you? What would, what would have to happen in your life to make you contented? And she didn't miss a beat. She says, I already am. I really hate when she does that. <laughs> but you, you'd have to know Kay. See, Kay, when I married her, was Pollyanna. Everything was perfect. And I'm, I'm that guy that has that cloud over his head all the place. He goes, you know, it's raining everywhere I go. It's raining. I'm always seeing things half empty. She always sees things full. When it comes to people, though, I've got it over most. I'm like my mom. I see everybody as full. But I, that's the way I am. And, and, and that's the way she is. She sees things as content. And I said to her, that wasn't fair. She said, <laughs> she said that's the truth. She said, I am a contented woman. Um, one of the things that I long for you and me is that we would understand that principle and have that oneness of mind, that contentness of um, really trusting in God. A continual devotion of being of one mind with one another and praying for one another. I don't think there's any more a greater example of a church than that, that we would be content and in love with one another. I mean, that's what Jesus said, wasn't it? He simply said to his apostles, look, you, those that were hanging around him, he said, look, I, I want to give you this commandment. I want you to love one another. I want you to love one another like I love you. He says, because of that reason, the way you love one another, everyone's going to know you're a disciple of mine. What I want from this church is what I believe you want from this church. I want this church, I want this church to be so established that within the community itself, there are going to be people know that there is something unique about these people. They really seem to care for one another. They seem to be of one mind. That's my dream. And I'm praying that God will allow that to happen. Now, let's go back to Acts chapter 1. Now let's try to finish in the next remaining minutes. Let's try to finish verses 16 to 26. What we see in verses 16 to 26 is Peter take charge. Now, Peter must have thought. Let me share with you what he must have thought. If you look at, at, at verse 12, where all this began, they're in, they're in the, the, the upper room. And it says in verse 15, Peter stood up in the midst of them and he made this statement. He must have been thinking about verse 20. He must have been thinking because it is written in the book of Psalms, somewhere in his mind, in his Old Testament knowledge, he must have been thinking let no man dwell in this place. Let his office be taken by another man. 
He therefore says in verse 21, it is necessary. We see a couple of key things that takes place in this place in Scripture. In verse 16, he says the Scriptures had to be fulfilled. Now, having to be fulfilled, there must have been a reason. I believe Peter was thinking what the Lord has told him already in Scripture. Look with me at Matthew chapter 19, please. Matthew chapter 19. You see, Jesus Christ already told the disciples that there were going to be 12 of them because they were going to sit... Well, let's take a look. Let's read it. Matthew chapter 19, verse 28. Actually, if you look at verse 27, you'll see a kind of an insight to Peter. Peter said in verse 27, Lord, Matthew chapter 19, he says, Lord, we've left everything to follow you. What's in it for us? I like to read it that way. I like to read it, that's what I would have asked him. Lord, I've, look, you've, you've said for me to follow. I left whatever it was I was doing. I'm following you. What's in it for me? Jesus answered that question for Peter. He said to, to Peter and the rest of the apostles or disciples that were following him at that time, he says, truly I say to you, You who have followed me in the regeneration, in other words, the restoration of Israel, when the Son of Man will sit on His glorious throne, you also shall sit upon twelve thrones. You will judge the twelve tribes of Israel. Mark that in your mind. Peter acts quickly, more than likely to put to rest any doubts that anyone might have uh, concerning arguing over who's going to take this place, who's going to have this seat. This is going to be on one of the thrones. Who's going to be there? Now, whether Peter acted under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit or whether he acted too quickly, that's debatable. I don't think you and I will ever know the answer to that. Many teachers, all the commentaries that I read concerning this place in Scripture... They're divided. Some say, yes, he, sh- he did exactly what he should have done. Others said, no, the Lord chose Paul. Paul should have been the apostle. And there's great evidence for that. Look at Galatians chapter 1 and verse 1. Paul calls himself an apostle. Under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, Paul says, I am an apostle. Look, Galatians 1.1, Paul says, an apostle, but know what he writes here, not sent from man, no, nor through the agency of man. When I read that, I thought to myself, I wonder, is Paul kind of saying, I didn't get this position over somebody throwing dice. That's what, that's what lots were. You throw, you threw, uh, the lots and it was like uh, throwing dice. But in, in, in the book of Proverbs, or excuse me, Psalms, it says, is it Proverbs or Psalms? Please forgive me. Let me find out. In Proverbs, in the 16th chapter, it says, you throw the dice, you throw the lots, but the, the decision belongs to the Lord. And so they're wondering, Paul's saying, look, I'm an apostle, not by somebody casting some dice. No, he says, I have been given this position, as he says at the rest of, of, of Galatians 1.1, through Jesus Christ and through God the Father who raised Jesus from the dead. But if you study further about Paul, which is a very good thing to do, in, in Romans chapter 11, verse 13, Paul calls himself an apostle, okay, but he calls himself an apostle to the Gentile. 
Could it be, I'm only throwing this out in pencil, could it be that Matthias is an apostle to the Jews and Paul becomes an apostle to the Gentiles? Don't know. Don't know. Can't wait to get to heaven to see which one it is. Because I'm going to be sitting there like the rest of you. Saying, which 12? Let's see. Was that Paul? Was it? Is that Matthias or is it Paul? Somewhere in my spirit, I believe that Matthias was chosen correctly by, by Peter. And that God chose Paul to do something dynamic with the Gentiles of this world. Now, let me say to you why I believe that. Here's why I believe it. It states in verse 16, if you go back to Acts chapter 1 and verse 16, it states very clearly the scripture had to be fulfilled. That's Peter saying these words. The verb had to be fulfilled is D-E-I. It translates, it is necessary. Peter is saying it is absolutely necessary to replace the vacancy that was left by Judas. And we're to do that. I want you to note something, though. When any of the other apostles die, whether it be James or Peter or any of the other apostles die, they do not again decide who is going to take their place. The reason that's important is because there are no further, there are no more than 12 apostles. There are not apostles in churches today, even though some cults, call themselves apostles. Do you know why they call themselves apostles? Because an apostle has a right to, uh, to give further revelation, further understanding to the Word of God. There are no apostles today, folks. When James died, when the rest of the apostles died, they did not replace them like they did Judas. They replaced Judas because long ago God predicted that they would have to. Because he knew that Judas was going to fall as he fell. And so there are not apostles within the church today. That, that office, so to speak, that's done with. There is no office any longer necessary or biblical within the church. Which gives further credence to what I like to teach from the pulpit. And that is that we're all in this together. There is nobody extra special amongst us. We've just been gifted differently. And we're all in the same boat and we're all moving in the same direction, hopefully. And we all are of one mind, hopefully. And we're all completely and continually devoting ourselves to prayer. Prayer for one another. Because when someone over here has difficulties and and is, is in sorrow, we should all be sorrowful. And when another person over here has just had victory and is rejoicing, we should all rejoice with them. We should be in this together with one mind. That is my dream for a church. I'm asking the Lord that almost every day, that he would give us a church of one mind, a church that has a a continual devotion to pray for one another. Also, he says it is necessary that they do something. Here's what is necessary. Look at verses 21 and 22. He says that word again, this, this, this uh, translation of the word D-E-I, which means it is extremely necessary. He says it is therefore necessary for a couple of things. What has to be necessary is that they have to find someone who accompanied them all the time that the Lord was there. When he went in and he went out. 
In other words, this person that is going to be chosen has to be a person who was there and walked the earth with Jesus Christ when he walked the earth. He also had to have been there for the long haul. Look at verse 22. He had to be there beginning with the baptism of Jesus Christ with John until the the day the Lord was taken up. He had to be a witness with us of his resurrection, which that practice is no longer found within the church. You can't find anybody that has witnessed all of these things. That's why there is no such position as an apostle today. There is just giftedness by God to kind of learn what's being taught within the Word of God and living it out. You and I don't have to worry about that position anymore. And so those things being certain, there's, there's a couple things we can observe about these two guys that they had to choose from. There's, there's a guy named Joseph called Bar- Barsabbas, and then there's Matthias. And these two guys, basically there's no moral question. They were, they were just two men that were both, both obviously uh, very uh, equally qualified. And secondly, this procedure of casting lots was a decision that they felt was directly from the Lord. As I've already mentioned to you, I tried and I did a very poor job of it. In Proverbs chapter 16, verse 33, it says, The lot is cast into the lap, that's like dice, and its decision is from the Lord. It is therefore my contention, for whatever it's worth, that Peter did what was right. He found it necessary to do it. He found it important to do it right away. And we find nowhere in Scripture that the Lord rebukes him for doing it. And he chose, by the grace of God, Matthias to be the twelfth apostle, I believe that we'll find him in heaven sitting on one of the twelve thrones. I also believe, and I don't know what yet, I'd love to know what, but I believe Paul's going to have a special place. Now, when we get there and we see Paul's on the throne and not Matthias, I'm going to say, I thought so. (laughs) No, no, I won't. I won't. I'm just going to say, wow, I missed that. I I really missed that one. But it's not going to change anything about the way we live today. What's going to make today important in your life and in my life is purely and simply this one fact that we found in verse 14. Can you agree that we become a church of one mind? It doesn't mean we're going to always get along. I mean, we're human beings. We're going to disappoint each other and there's going to be decisions that are made that you're going to wonder why. One of the things that I I find about, about church that to me is so amazing is when a decision is made, someone will come to us and say, did you guys pray about this? And you, you want to say, Oh, God, no, we should have prayed, huh? <laughs> yeah, what do you think we've been doing for weeks and months? On our knees, fasting and praying. And then we make a decision and someone will come, Do you ever think about praying about this? You know, and it kind of like makes you think, Do they think we're spiritual at all? That's, that's the thing that can be dis- difficult to understand at times. What I'd love for you to believe is that the leadership that the Lord has brought to this church has the best of this church in mind. And that I will, with all of my heart, not allow any of us to get puffed up to where we think we're better than anyone. We're just going to try and see what God has to do for us. See where He has us to go. My deepest prayer, it is the one thing, as I told Kay, that would allow me to die a a contented man, is that to, to see a church of one mind. I would love that. I'd see us to just loving one another. 
and continually devoted to prayer. That we would pray. Where are we going? What are we doing? What do do we see God doing in our lives so that we can become and make an impact for the cause of Christ in our community? I mentioned in the first service there was a gentleman by the name of Harold. For those of you men that don't come to our, our Wednesday morning breakfast, because you can't, and I understand that, you're missing out on such a blessing. Harold is like our prayer warrior. And also on Wednesday morning with the men, we're seeing things happen now that are absolutely miraculous. It's, it's unbelievable. Hi, honey. How you been? What we see happening there, which is so incredible, is with Jeff and Carla and their, uh, and their family, their granddaughter, uh, Lillianne. Lillianne, I mean, we've been praying, most the church has been praying for her. But we were told last week by Jeff, uh, that that Lillian is having her first birthday, she is um, she is literally a miracle. The doctors are saying. In fact, they are saying Jeff is, CBS TV is going to do a, a story on her because no one has ever made it through this before, right? And they're they're befuddled by it, right? Yeah. Pardon me? Yeah. He said the doctors are. We're not. And we had the privilege of along with you in this church, but especially uh, the men on Wednesday morning, to pray for that and to see a, a miracle. Um, it's kind of a beautiful thing to happen within the family of God, that we can pray for one another and rejoice. Just thank the Lord for what He's doing. I've said to you before, and I'll say it again, I, have, I, I am silly in love with you. I am really just ridiculous. It's, it's starting to scare me now. <laughs> It really is. I might be a stalker. Um, I really do love you more than I can put into words. Um, I realized that when Kay asked me that question. One of the first things that came to my mind is, would any husband was my care for my wife? The next thing came in mind was you in this church. I love you so much. Father, thank you for our privilege of of just loving on one another and, and becoming a church, Father, I, I pray with all my heart that would be of one mind. I recognize, Father, there are going to be difficulties and we'll have disagreements and all of that. But, Father, may we be a church that, that is devoted to prayer and that we would be a church that, that wants to do what is right within its own self, within our own structure, but also across this world in which you've given us. May we be an example within our community of what you told the apostles and the disciples to be. And that is people who love one another so that people will know, will know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we're your disciples, followers of you. I believe that's the purest way of doing it, of just purely loving one another. So, Father, thank you for the people in this building, those that came to the other two services like last night and this morning. Bless us all, wherever you might take us, Father. And I I thank you for each person. Father, I do love them with all my heart. I thank you for that love that you've placed in my heart for them. In Jesus' name, amen. I do love you so much. Have a great, great, great day.